yeah, I just want to share uh, really something, a, a, a kind of a work that God's been doing in my life, but also I would imagine in all of our lives at some point. Uh, I guess there's times when um, he seems to be challenging, challenging you in a certain area more and more, um, or not. Uh, sometimes it's okay to be still. Uh, other times it's uh, to search deep share a bit of that. And you can see, I'll put there, how deep the Father's love for us. We all know that hymn. We're going to sing it um, later on. Um, anyone heard of the hymn, uh, How Can I Earn the Father's Love? Ever sung that before? Can't sing it, can you? Because it's not, um, it's not theologically correct. You can't earn uh, the Father's love. God is love. He's love. And he loves you. It's a very simple message today, but I, I do want to uh, just expand on that because... Um, I think I'll speak for about 15 minutes and otherwise we'll sit down early and straight into communion. But it's great as we come to communion to remind ourselves that God is love and he loves you. He really, really loves you. And so I'm just going to talk a bit about that. So when I was little, uh, some of you might say that could be today, um, I can remember my dad used to work long hours. He was a carpenter and he would work all sorts of hours. I'd go shopping with my mum on Saturday because dad was at work and everything else. Sometimes he'd work seven days a week and uh, really just so we could get a week's holiday in Ramsgate and stuff like that. So we didn't have a lot of money uh, when we were younger. But, um, but what, what I remember is that when we were with him, it was really important. Um, it was really important to him. It made our time with him all the more special. And he wasn't a perfect dad, and I'm not a perfect dad, and we've heard there's not perfect parents, but God is the perfect parent. Okay? Um, and I remember that time with him, uh, being really special. I have uh, early memories. We had this rocking horse, and it was on springs. And I can really remember it. I don't know ever what happened to it, but I remember being really young, to the point I remember it being my third birthday. So, and I remember before then, so I must have been two. And um, I've got really early memories uh, of that. Um, and I'd rock on this horse. Uh, my brother was a bit older than me, so he kind of tried to tip it up a bit more. He's heavier and taller and older. Um, And I remember uh, standing on the saddle bit, which health and safety now, it must have been plastic or say, I don't know, I didn't fall off. But all I wanted to do was jump into Dad's arms. That's all I wanted to do. I loved rocking the horse, but I can remember getting on it, rocking it, getting on and jumping into his arms. And he was laughing. I can remember the settee, that he'd be sitting on the settee and the horse was next to it, and I would jump. Um, And I just wanted to be in his arms. And he was laughing. He would laugh because his son just kept wanting to do this. Um, and I was laughing because it was just joy. You know, Dad was around and he wanted to play. It was really key. And all I wanted to do was jump into Dad's heart, arms. He was laughing, I was laughing. Joy, 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 again and again and again. And the main thing was just us two being together. I can remember as a little boy walking along the street and just holding his hand. And, you know, my dad now is not in the best of health. He's, he was 5 foot 11. He's about the same height as me now. He shrunk a bit. But when I was little, you know, it was like this, wasn't it? And you'd walk along the road and all I wanted to do, I'd look at dad. One day I'd be like dad. That's all I wanted to do. And then I don't know what happened. But at some point, and I can't tell exactly when, something changed. Something changed. And it went from just pure love... I'm wanting to be with Dad. To look at me, Dad. Look at me, as I jumped for probably the hundredth time into the swimming pool. Look at me, Dad. Look how high I can climb the tree. Look at me, Dad. I can ride faster than all the other lads. And there's nothing wrong in wanting to make your dad proud. I'm not negating that. But what I was really saying was, look at me, Dad. 
I'm trying to earn your approval. I'm trying to earn your love. I've lost the simplicity of what it was at the beginning. Just the joy of knowing that I was loved. I didn't have to earn anything when I was little. I was just loved. It was just in him. He loved me and I was aware of it. I didn't feel like I had to earn it. I didn't feel like I had to go on the horse and jump off. I just wanted to because I, I could see it gave him joy and it gave me joy. Now, for somehow, I don't know what happened, I had a point to prove. I was just a little boy looking for a father's love. And what I didn't realise, it was there already. So some younger pictures of me and my family. When I became a dad, I understood. I got it. My kids could not earn my love. It was there from day one. I remember when uh, Andrew had to open both of them, two emergency cesareans. So on the first one, uh, she was kept in for five days. And I thought this fatherhood stuff was really easy. I'd pop in for an hour, see them both, go and have breakfast in the staff canteen at the hospital because they took pity on me. And um, I had a week off work. In those days, I didn't get paternity leave. I took two weeks holiday. First week, I was on my own. I loved it. It was great. The golf was on. I could play. It was brilliant. I went in, said, how are you doing? And off I went. And then when we picked Katie up, I remember taking her home, putting her in the car seat, which we'd practiced. I did it uh, all correctly. And uh, we got her in, man. Did it all in a, I remember putting her on the, on, in, in the, um, on the uh, floor in the living room in her car seat. And I said, what do we do now? And then about five minutes later, she started screaming for the best part of 12 hours. And I looked for the receipt, but there wasn't one. She couldn't go back. But I loved her. I loved her. And you have to say, she couldn't earn it. She couldn't earn it. We just loved her. I got it when I came with Dad. They already, had, they already had my love. Here I was, an imperfect father. I don't, sometimes I don't think I've been that good at Dad. And sometimes I have been. But I loved them because it was who I was. They were mine. I, they were mine. They'd been given to me and I loved them. It was in me. I just loved them. They couldn't earn it. For those of you who've had babies, the stuff they give you in those first three months is nothing to make you love them at all. You know, the cuddles, but they don't know what they're doing. And, um, you know, I remember the first time we brought Harry back and he changed his nappy. And I realised you have to be a lot quicker with boys than you are with girls. It was like London's burning. It was incredible. Um, anyway, they don't, they kind of are loving you back, but they don't understand it, but you love them. And there's nothing they could do, whether it's you've got to change a nappy for the twelfth time in the next two hours or, or, you know, they're crying or keeping up at night. It's hard, but you love them. You love them. They can't give you too much back. They eventually do. Nobody forces you to. They can't earn it. You just love them. They may grow up and do things that you don't like. You know, I can testify to that, but you still love them because it's in you to love them. Nothing gave me more pleasure as a father than to cuddle my kids and tell them I love them. I used to tell them all the time. Honestly, it got a bit boring to them, I think. I said, oh, yeah, we know. Jeremiah 31, verse 3 said, I've loved you. This is God's word to us. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've loved you with an everlasting love. He loves you. He loves you. How much? Yeah, well, that's how long. Yeah, but how much? How much and why? Look at this. John 3, 12 to 17. I've told you, words of Jesus, I've told you about earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven. That's him, right? That's Jesus. We know that. The Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Right? His mission's right here. He must be. He is going to be lifted up on a cross. He's going to be lifted up on a cross 
for me and for you, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Christ crucified for you. That's it. That's who we preach. Christ and him crucified. For God so loved the world, see, his, his motive is love. He's not vindictive. He's not looking like he wants some sort of cosmic child abuse, which some theologians suggested. Jesus chose to go to the cross. He wasn't forced to. He chose it because of why? Love. How deep the Father's love for you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Christ crucified. Jesus, the Son of Man, doing the opposite to what Adam had done. He's going to take sin out of the world. And to do that, he has to lift up, be lifted up on the cross. Why, verse 16? Because God loves you. For God so loved the world. He just loves you. You might be out there trying to earn that. You can't. He loves you. And and why, verse 15? So that anyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That's a bit of a nugget. I think we're all okay in here. But if I thought there was a non-Christian, I'd be saying now, you see my, well, you did see my son up there, and I love my son. You hurt my son, you'll become an enemy of mine. I might forgive you, but you'll be my enemy. Jesus says, whoever is for us is for us. Whoever is against us, against us. You must make your decision. There is a love that's offered. We just receive it. But I think you're all okay. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. I'm I'm aware of my own sin. You're aware of yours. None of us would want our lives made bare. But God takes my sin and he takes it to the cross. It's on his son and his son deals with it. His son deals with it. And the cry of the cross is, it is finished. The curtain is turning toward, there's an earthquake. We can't get the magnitude. We do a very simple communion, which is important. We do it very nicely and neatly, and this is fantastic. And orderly, which we're told to do. Paul says, orderly worship. But imagine when it happened. Earthquakes, curtains torn in two, the sky darkens. It would have been incredible. And Jesus says, because he loves us, come and have this meal with me. Come and have this meal with me, which represents exactly what happened on that day. Body given for you, blood shed for you, because God so loved the world. And you must be lifted up, because you can't be, because we are sinners. Now, I was once told, uh, someone said to me, I'm not going to church, full of hypocrites. I said, don't worry, there's room for one more. You're welcome to come in. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. When I became a disciple, a follower of Jesus, I got it. My early birth, my second birth, my spiritual birth, just like that baby who wanted to jump off the rocking horse, just understood it. I got it. Once it got into my heart, that was it. And I just enjoyed God as a father and Jesus as a saviour and the spirit living within, changing. And then I remember when I was called... As a minister, time and time again I was given this verse and God laid it on my heart, Jeremiah 1, 1 to 4, because I was very unsure of myself. And it said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And this is how I felt. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. 
You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And it really impacted me. And it was coming at me from all angles. And I really believed it and I believe it now. Really believe it now. And I thought, right, I've got this call now. This is it. I've got to get on with it. I've got to, I'm going to change the world. And you notice the thing I'm getting wrong there. I'm saying, I can do this. I'll change the world. I can't. Only God can. All I can do is try and be faithful. But I've got this call. And I'm thinking, I've got to get on with it. And you know, you go to all these conferences. I've just been on one and uh, you read all the leadership books, and in all of them, you can have all the programmes and everything else. Culture overthrows programmes any day of the week. If you can change the culture, if we can be love, which Jesus tells us to be, it would be amazing. It would be amazing. But I remember hearing these verses, I've got to get on with it, got to get on with it. When I go to these conferences, um, the churches that are growing have strong leaders, and that is the, one of the keys. You need strong leaders. We hope to lead you uh, in, a, in, a, in a robust way. And uh, at the last conference I went to, it was only this week, I've been uh, high, I like the conferences that are high, take 40 minutes to get to, doing exactly 70 miles an hour. But someone said to me, oh, um, yeah, we, we know, well, he does know me, he said, you don't believe in small church, do you? And I said, well, what makes you say that? He said, oh, you only want to go to large churches. So what makes you say that? He said, well, you don't believe in small church. Interestingly, he comes from a small church. And I said, well, the first church I went to had 30 people. Um, if I didn't believe in, in say, small church, I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't have gone there. But I don't, I, do, I don't believe that they have to stay that way. I believe in healthy church. That's what I believe in. I'm not overly worried about size. It's got to be healthy and it's got to be robust and it's got to serve God in his mission and ministry. And when I went to, this is my last church, when I went there, um, I prayed and I looked at these words of Jeremiah and I went through it all and I went through uh, about 20 years, which they recommend you to have, of old church meeting minutes, and I saw what the themes were and what the common things were and everything else. Uh, interestingly, it was lack of prayer, just so you know. And when I speak to ministers, that's what they're saying about all their churches, uh, the lack of passion for prayer. Uh, but every church meeting stock had, it said, we need more people praying. There's only a few people at the prayer meetings. And, and uh, I'm not judging them because we're the same. Okay, 10 people in the morning, 15 in the evening is not great. Anyway, it's another argument. I believed I'd heard from God. And so we didn't have hardly any children at the church. So I spoke to some of the mums in the playground. I was able to do that then because my children are at the school. Now I'd be on front page of the Daily Mail if I hang around church, uh, schools and speaking to mums. And, and they said, oh yeah, we've been to your church in the past. And when, you know, when the baby cries, everyone looks around. So they're probably concerned. Yeah, but you know, we're embarrassed. Okay, and if they make a noise, it's a nightmare. So I went back to my church. I said, I'm in touch with all these families and uh, they're on my front line. They're my friends. I've got them. I've only got them for a certain amount of time. And I want to invite them in, but please don't look around when their baby cries. And what I want to do is get loads of instruments uh, to be around so that when the kids come in, actually we're telling them to make a noise and the parents will be fine about them. No, we don't want to do that. But we did it. And the families started to come. That family, by the way, who said they wouldn't come, and that was five people, husband and wife and three children. We ended, dedica- we ended up dedicating the third one. Um, then it was, well, we love the organ. An organ must be played every week. Do you know that? That is in the Bible. I've seen it. Um, and, but we don't want many guitars and pianos. Funny enough, stringed instruments are in the Bible, so we had a bit of a, a, a turnaround. 
And, but the organ, the person playing it could play it, but he couldn't use the pedals. So we didn't really, it was a keyboard. And so I said, look, the organ's big and brown and horrible and it's not very welcome. I want to get rid of it. We can't get rid of the organ. We can't do it. I said, well, it, it speaks. I mean, I love the sound. We can get a decent keyboard. We can put the organ sound. Up the, anyway, eventually it went. And then the pulpit. The pulpit was good. The pulpit used to stand in front of the stage. The stage was a third of the church, just so you know. Bear that, keep that in your mind. And the pulpit was in front of the stage, which meant you had a huge bit of the church, which is now beginning to fill up, um, couldn't be used because the stage actually was about this high. And, and I like being six feet above contradiction. But that, even that was high enough for me. And so we were in front of that. The musicians didn't like being on there because they felt they were, they were performing rather than leading. And, and the, the, um, the um, pulpit was over there, which is a massive great thing. All it did was hold the projector. I never used it. Always used the lectern. So I said, I want to get rid of the pulpit. Can't do that. Can't do that. That's where we preach. I said, well, you know, we've never preached. When's the last time anyone preached from here? And I looked at the projector. There's cobwebs everywhere. There's no way they've been preaching from there. And there was an ex-Baptist minister, and they said, hey, Russell won't like it. I said, okay, well, I can't make a decision on one church member. And I spoke to Russell, and he said, oh, he said, I've only got one condition. I said, what's that? He said, can I strike the first blow? And we came on a Saturday, me and him, and we loved the word, but we, we recognised it was stopping us in our mission ministry. And he took the blow, and I expected to find three ex-Baptist ministers under there, but we didn't. And we took it down in one, in one go. No one, no one worried about it. Then I said, let's get the pews out. The pews, we can't use it now uh, throughout the week. We've got this big space. Let's get the pews. You can't, can't lose the pews. No, you can't do, can't do that. And Joe, we couldn't give them away. Well, in fact, we did give them away. Um, there's a man in stocks on all his back garden, along with a, um, uh, an organ. We couldn't give that away either. Um, couldn't get anything for it. No one wanted it. And so eventually we took the pews out. And bless him, dear Jeremy Coulters was the one who helped me do all of this. Uh, he was the doer. He's the, we can do it here and we can do it. And then I said, well, I don't like the stage because we're losing a third of church stage. We need to, we need to you know, lower it. And uh, so you can't do that. Supporting wall, can't do that. Spoke about six months. Jeremy came, so Jeremy being Jeremy, I'll chop the top off the baptistry. It's really big. We'll be fine. And we got it to about that, and that was it. All of a sudden, the building was being used for mission and ministry, but there was resistance all the time. You know, the church grew from, from 30 to a membership of 72 and went up to a congregation of around 120. We were the fastest growing Baptist church in the EBA. They were sending us people, and they said, what did you do? I said, we preach the word, we have authentic worship, and we do whatever we need to do to bring people outside in. And it's the people inside that have to make the sacrifice. I got emails of complaint about the noise the children were making. Uh, this was after about 20 years of praying for children to come in. Uh, take the instruments away from them. You know, you, you know it's incredible. Um, we had to change the worship. We needed to reach a younger generation, but equally keep an older generation interested. I used to say, can we have a couple of hymns? And maybe four, no, I, want, no, I don't want that. But you want the new people to come in, yeah, yeah, but they need to do it our way. There's this constant, constant battle. So it wasn't I didn't believe in small church. It was I believed that you can grow a small church. That's what I really believe in. I think anything healthy will grow. And I've, I've got to tell you, I've put 10 years of my life into it. It's now back to 30 members, small congregation. I think secretly they just wanted to be a village church. I don't know. But sometimes you have to make those decisions. This is something that I brought before you recently. And it is, I understand it's difficult, but believe me, unless I believe it's of God, I won't bring it. But that needs to be decided, and that needs to be decided by all of you and the wider church. But, but honestly, the whole point is about being stronger and growing the church. And I can't guarantee the same thing will happen. It may not, but 
my role as a leader, when I read those verses of Jeremiah, I have to take them seriously and sometimes it means making tough decisions. But as I grew in making those decisions, as I saw my church grow, and as the regional ministers like ringing me saying, can we send some people down? And people asked me, what did we do? And it was really simple. It wasn't, we just honoured God. We just stayed true to his word. We had a good worship and it was a warm, welcoming uh, fellowship. And it just grew. Part of it was because I was at the school and therefore, and I was a minister at the school, so therefore we got to know a lot of people and we dragged, literally dragged them in, uh, got involved with the school and everything else. But do you know what happened? Just like when I was a kid, from jumping off the horse, I found in my ministry saying, look at me, God, look what I'm doing. Look how hard I'm working. Look at the changes I've made. Look at the fruit of it. Look at what I'm doing for you. Look at my church. It's not my church. It's his church. Look at my church. Are you happy with me? Look at what I'm giving up. Look at the growth. Are you happy? And what I was really saying was just that little boy, again, all them years ago, do you love me more now? And he couldn't because he loved me already. And do we do that sometimes in a world that demands and it demands that you earn things? God speaks into it and says, but I've loved you with an everlasting love. I already love you. And my journey continues. I've gone back to the Father's heart. I recognise. I am loved. Everything I do now has to come from that love. I can't do it to get the love. I have to say, I'm loved. Therefore, like the, like the little boy holding his dad's hand, I just, I just want to look at him and say, I'll do anything for you. I'll do anything for you. Just like that little boy. Unadulted, not earning it. I just love you and I will do anything for, for you. And that journey continues. I can't earn his love. I can't boast in what I do. The only thing I can boast in is that Jesus died for me, a sinner, and he is Christ crucified for me and for you. And he did that, not because of all the things I did or you did and what you're trying to achieve. He did it because he loves you. For God so loved the world. And it's because of that that you need and I need just to offer myself back to him. To look at the Father and say, I'll do anything for you. Dad, the Father was read out. I'll do anything for you. They can't translate the word Abba. They can't do it. That's why it stays in there as Abba. But it's like a holy daddy. Holy daddy. You can't lose the holiness. He is love, but he's holy as well. He did it because of God's great love for me. And it's because of that I offer my life uh, back to him. Not because I can earn his love, not that he can't uh, 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 give me more love. He can't because he loves me already because he is love. So my response must be, which we'll see, when I look at this love, which is so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all, everything. Everything. I forgot where I'm on site. So we're back. We're back. I'm still the little boy in many senses, holding my dad's hand. I'm looking up at him. He looks down at me with love. And at that moment, I'll do anything for him. If I have to die for him, I'll do it. I don't say it lightly. I would do anything for him. And you know, he reaffirms to me, and I believe he wanted to say this to you this morning, all you people at South Green. He has called me and I'm loved. He has called you. You are loved. You are loved. You can't earn it. You are loved. It's in him. Jesus said in John 15, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, 
to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. This is the fruit. This is the fruit that lasts. Okay, this is the fruit that everyone will know that you're a true disciple. This is the, true, the, 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 the fruit that the people outside will say, well, they're different. This is my command. Love each other. And so often I go into churches and I see the opposite. Discord and factions and uh, all sorts of things. But Jesus said, you know if they're my disciples, if they love one another. And the fruit and the growth must come out of the relationship. I'll do anything for you. I'll do anything for you. Love that unlovable person. All right. Make that tough decision. All right. Go to the very needy. Okay. Go to the smelly person. All right, I'll do anything for you, Dad. You're my dad. It can't be, look at me. I'm going to go to the most unworthy person. And I'm going to say, look how much I love them. Look how much, look what I'm doing. Dad, do you love me? I loved you already, son. But what about, the, what about growing the church? Dad, can I do that? Like, yeah, but I love you already. That's great, that'll come out of the love. I love you already. Really? Still hard to get. It's the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. It comes out of, it comes out of the love. It's relationship. It's given. It was costly. It cost God his son. It's how much he loves you. It was love. You're chosen and you've been appointed to go and bear fruit. Not to earn the love, but because of love and show the love. We live out the love that he's given us. It's in us and we live it out. Little book up there I've got. Sandy Miller. Sandy Miller. Anyone know Sandy Miller? Yeah, okay. So he used to be the, uh, the rector at Holy Trinity Brompton and Nicky Gumbel uh, was his vicar. Now, you know, Nicky Gumbel's uh, the guy who got Alpha off the... Off, off, up and running. Uh, Sandy Miller uh, wrote this book and I've been reading it in my devotional time and he was saying through his ministry all the things he used to do. He felt God say to him, all I want is you. What about this? What about the growth? What about our, all I want is you? That all comes out of that. That's fine. It's brilliant. Look at me, Dad. I've jumped in the pool. I'm like, well done, son. I loved you anyway. I loved you when I was putting your nappy on this morning. I love you as you grow up. I love it when you become a father. I love it when you understand what the Father's heart is. I love you. You are loved. And you know, in some ways, I'm that little boy holding his dad's hand. And what I recognise now as a father, and with my kids growing up, what I want more than anything, more than anything, is them to spend time with me. It's not about all the things they do. I'm, I'm proud. Of course I am. We're all proud of our children. Of course I am. I just love them though. Loved, I'd love to have more time. I wish I'd been a better dad when I was, when I was uh, younger, but now, now I've got my time. All I want to do. Dad, look at the new car I've got. Yes, lovely. I've got this promotion at work. I'm so proud of you. Most things, the thing I want to do to make give me a hug. My son's like, get off, what are you doing? You know, I'd hug him every day if he let me. I just love him. I just want him to know I love him. And I love what they do, it's brilliant, but I love them. Do you know, if one of them went and committed murder, I wouldn't like it. Our relationship would be tarnished, but I'd love them. Nothing they will do will stop me loving them. You are loved. And in a short while after this next song, we'll just see how much, because it was demonstrated on the cross.
Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. All it takes from us is a response to say, Dad, I want to love you back. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the elements that we're going to take soon, the bread and the wine, what they represent, the body and blood of Christ. We thank you that he chose the cross. We thank you, Lord, when we really, when we really look at what he did, it demands everything of us. But not to earn it, but because of it. So I pray this word will enter our hearts and for everyone here today. I pray they'd go from this place with all their burdens and anxieties and health issues and all the good things that are going on in life and the things to be grateful for, everything. And that they could put all of that aside and just know they're loved. That you love them. In Jesus' name, Amen.